I'm Jason Harmon, and this is API Intersection, where you'll get insights from experienced API practitioners to learn best practices on things like API design, governance, identity auth, versioning, and more. Welcome back to API Intersection. We're going to have an around-the-world view today. A little bit, uh, I always say a little bit different, so it's never a little bit different. Everything's always a little bit different here, but um, I think sometimes we get into kind of how to govern the internal of API platforms and all that sort of stuff. But I think a big subject over the last couple of years has been this, you know, the shift to remote work and kind of how folks are adapting to it. And we keep seeing and hearing how APIs play a role. So to help us fill in those blanks today, we have our wonderful guest, Gleb Polykov from Nihilus, and my co-host here, uh, as usual, lately, Anna Doherty. Um, Thanks Gleb, for having me. Thank you. Gleb, tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of what Nihilus does, and then uh, we'll get into this whole uh, remote work and APIs thing. Absolutely. Happy to be on. And Jason and Anna, thank you so much for having me. So I'm Gleb. I'm the CEO at Nihilus. What we do as a company is we help you connect directly into the data within communication channels and then help you put it to work via APIs, via automations, via some front-end components that really help you build on top of super valuable user experience flows, super valuable data stores, and drive results for your business by leveraging that information. And help me out a little bit. I can go as far, you know, explain it to me like I'm four as I need to in terms of the uh, what are APIs, but what is the audience that you're going after? Oh, well, I think listeners of API Intersection are generally pretty API savvy and just want to kind of see different looks and maybe kind of what works and doesn't sort of thing. So I think my observation on taking a look at Nihilus, which I wasn't really that aware of before, seems like you guys are kind of in the API aggregation space to some extent, sort of abstracting away lots of different providers behind one kind of API front end. But it sounds like there's more to it than that. Yeah, totally. I think right now the whatever we want to call it, the API space, the API economy is undergoing a really nice evolution. It's become real clear over the last two years, the pandemic, how important this more digital transformation piece is for established businesses, for enterprises, for folks starting new things. But for the past, I don't know, let's call it five to 10 years. I'm making something up, but yeah, let's call it five to 10 years. Uh, the need for software tools continues to increase and the way that you get them built is very much by leaning on existing services, existing API providers, existing tooling, whether that's at the like core bare metal, uh, we're running on AWS instead of coloing our own data center, or whether that's on the, I'm going to use Stripe instead of building my own checkout component of it. Folks are leveraging other tools to get to market faster. And I think that is a very natural sort of extension of the core premise of what software is and so what software does, right? Like we're only using software because it helps us provide more leverage for what we would otherwise have to do manually. And it helps us do the, the computations, the remembering that the human brain isn't especially good at doing otherwise. Yeah, I think in that, so I guess I should have said from the start, we're I think taking more to look of consumption of APIs as opposed to kind of creation of them, which tends to be more of a topic here, uh, which I think for folks building APIs is always a valuable perspective. Who's going to use the thing and how and why? So I think what drew us into this conversation, I know for the team at Stoplight, we certainly uh, went all eyes in and PCE did for Forbes around kind of this 
remote work and the spread of it over the course of the last couple of years and how APIs have played a role. And you kind of did like a high-level outline there, but I'd love to just kind of scratch a level deeper on some of these things and get a little more like, maybe it's customer stories or just kind of an abstraction of that, of like, what does that look like? So like you had talked about extracting critical communications data across multiple channels to surface relevant information that helps with strategic planning, decision-making, and updating timelines. Obviously, you're writing for a business crowd there, and it's not all business here. So give us the dirty, gritty version of what that means. Yeah, absolutely. So I always love the translation of the, the marketing enterprise speak, but basically modern software tools require you to connect with your users. You want to have as much context as possible to drive the most meaningful experience as possible. As a business, you want to make sure that you just understand what's happening insofar as you can. So what are APIs, what our platform lets you do is to build those communication flows is to, so for example, we have, yeah, I'm going to go out on a complete lemon venture to say the majority of a lot of the most popular CRMs built on our platform for that bi-directional automatic email sync. If you were a sales rep, you before a lot of modern tooling had to do things like copy paste emails into a CRM, you had to do thing or a spreadsheet or whatever you were using. You maybe had a, uh, if you were real fancy, a BCC email address that you would include on emails to maybe get them logged. Uh, real clunky systems do not work. Don't capture the data. People sort of hate using them. They're workarounds to try to get at the core thing you're trying to do, which is like, who is talking to who and about what, man? It's part of a very universal, and I'm, I'm going to stay a little bit vague. It's part of how mm -hmm. my brain works, but then I'll, I'll go down to the specific stories and details. But the high level concept is like, listen, like not me, not you, not anyone else in the world can really get much done on their own. As a species, we just don't do that. Uh, we work with other people, we collaborate, we talk to other people to let them know what we're thinking, to let them know what we need. And then as part of that, the more people are on the same message, the more people are ar around the same content of the communication and trying to push something forward, the more gets done. We go land on the moon, right? We go help eradicate diseases because we're able to get people on board with a message, with a goal, with the means and process of getting something done. That kind of by definition means that the content of communication has all that data within it. If that's what's being transmitted and then things get done because of it, the input, the output in the middle is the data that you need to get everything done. That's hard to get to. Oh man, it's super hard to get to. So whether it's email or text messages or the own channels around Slack or Zoom or whatever, it is highly, highly siloed. It's highly, highly fragmented. None of the schemas look the same. Some of them on the email side, so you have the Gmail API, the graph APIs for Google and Microsoft. They're pretty good. Their schemas don't match each other, and they only support like the very basic CRUD access into things. So if you're trying to build a modern software flow that involves human-to-human -human communication, that's where we come in and help you either just make it happen in the first place or make sure that you can pull out the higher order data so that you can build these mail merge sequences instead of just sending out an email. So we have the active campaigns, the sales lofts on the sales tool side built on us. And then on the more B2C facing side, uh, what's some cool, cool stats I can pull. So folks use us in the past year, we did over 30 million COVID appointment, COVID vaccination appointment settings to help folks go out and get vaccinated. But over on the scheduling side, we actually saw something like close to 2 billion meetings scheduled on our platform over the past year, which is super cool. 
over half of the real estate transactions in the country go through our servers at one point or another, whether it's on the like marketplace side with the websites like the, the realtor.coms, the move.coms, the ones where you uh, browse with a bunch of tabs late at night to look at houses that you can't afford for some reason. Then we have folks like the, the compasses, the remaxes, who use us again in a very CRME sort of way. They're trying to understand how are agents communicating with home buyers? How can I make that more efficient? How can I drive those experiences forward for them in a way that matches modern expectations and what table stakes software should look like? And then we also have folks on the back of house lending underwriting side of things where we're helping them get that time to mortgage origination down. Basically, you're, if you've ever bought a house, you have to put a ton of the same information in over and over again. You're often like assembling a bunch of files, FTPing them somewhere, copy pasting information from them, putting it somewhere else. Our infrastructure, again, because we help power the communication and the data flow between the home buyer, the loan officer, the agent, the banker, the, all the people involved in the decision or buying cycle, we are able to automatically extract out and parse and populate that information into the platform so that for some of our customers, they've been able to drop that mortgage origination time from 21 days down to eight days, in large part because we're helping them simplify and make a lot more efficient what we do. So it's horizontal, a ton of use cases, but it's because we're trying to basically reduce the components of human communication down into like the most atomic Lego blocks that we can build and then release it out into the world and see what people do. Everyone needs a schedule. We all live in a world of linear time, and regardless of your industry, whether it's B2C, B2B, whatever. You got to figure out how to deal with time. You got to figure out how to talk to people. You got to understand who they are and what they're talking about. The more you can do that automatically, the better. And that's a high, high opportunity in the market, a high demand and need. People are going through weird hoops to build workarounds to try to achieve the same things that they could do with just you know a couple of API calls on our platform. And it's necessary. It helps drive that engagement, that revenue, that upselling piece that makes modern software great. So I think many businesses understand the concept of like engagement as a website click or engagement as filling out a form. And it's hard to maybe convince them that communication itself is valuable data. How are you reaching your you know, potential customers and helping them understand that the communication itself is valuable to them? And how do you communicate you know, how your system works without going to in the weeds for them? Business owners don't necessarily understand all the, the weeds of the API. Oh, totally. No, it's, uh, in terms of communicating to business owners, it's a ton of analogies. I will go to colorful stories all day when it comes to explaining the exact ins and outs of technologies. So if I ever start going down that path, just tell me to, to wheel it back a little bit. But actually, when it comes to understanding engagement, We've not seen that to actually be the case. I think that folks typically understand pretty well that the more interaction points you have with your audience, the better. If they're staying in your app, uh, if they're staying on your platform, on your website, within your experience, the longer they stay, typically, you know, there are caveats, but typically the better. Typically, the, that's correlated pretty heavily to, at the very least, user or contract retention. But I make the argument that it's pretty highly correlated to upsells and everything else. So in our sales cycle, we have materials of case studies from existing customers. We're like, hey, like they implement these features. They saw these lifts in engagement. They saw these lifts in revenue. They can gate it. They can gate XYZ functionality on higher level pricing plans. And then you can see the conversion rates to those higher pricing plans. You can see your user acquisition in general. Because if you're missing a table stake feature that your competitor has, you're going to want to get that. 
but I think it's more around how do you paint the picture that communication can be simple and not just piecemeal, one-off integrations for things that we have found the most need to educate on. My favorite example, and I don't know why this one was so prevalent, is earlier when we were starting and we were primarily just email. Since then, we've had calendar, contacts, SMS messaging, some video transcriptions, Slack, Teams, other channels. But when we were just email, we had this universal API for doing bidirectional email sync. There's a couple different ways to do email sending too. Um, most popular are proxies, so like a SendGrid or a Mailgun style server. The one that shows like, do not reply at stringoflettersandnumbers.com. Those senders have a ton of deliverability issues and then a ton of inbox placement issues. You have to make sure DKIM SPF records are set up appropriately. You have to make sure that IPs are warmed up. On a good day, you're getting like 85% deliverability. And then you're worrying about inbox placement. If it's going to a Gmail mailbox, am I getting caught behind the promotions tab? Is the person even seeing it? So we do something differently. We connect directly into a communication channel, a mailbox. Users authenticate their accounts onto our platform, and that helps drive uh, the features we power. But it also means that when we're sending an email on behalf of the user, it appears it's just coming from you know, gleb.niles.com or whatever, because it is. We're sending directly from that email, uh, email box. So that drives a lot higher engagement, a lot of higher response rates. So deliverability is 99%. When we look at click-through rates as a, one potential measure of engagement, it's 30% higher, you know, same message body, same subject line, same recipients as uh, something sent, I guess different recipients, but as something sent on a transactional proxy sender. But when we were first selling that, even though the value seems like fairly clear, we'd be talking to these engineering teams or these project managers who just like were used to everything being super piecemeal. Like, okay, well, we'll try connecting just our Gmail users first, and then we'll add Outlook users, and then we'll add O3C5 users, and then we'll add Yahoo. And uh, we, at the beginning, we sort of tried arguing, being like, no, 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 it supports everything. You don't have to stage it. You don't have to do things in phases. Don't, like, it just works. Don't worry about it. And that ended up being a weird sort of fight every time with a customer. So what we found was easier was say, great, cool, here you go. It's done for phase one, done. Gmail, great. Uh, and then we just go back to them a couple of weeks later. Because in the offflow, people will just sign up. There's nothing preventing you from signing up, something else. And be like, by the way, you have a couple of thousand Microsoft users already, a couple of thousand Yahoo users already. Isn't that nice? Shouldn't we consider doing a fuller implementation now? That's where we found we have to educate folks on the consumption of APIs, is that very rarely does the customer understand, as well as the company, the full possibility space of how your product can help the uh, end user. And it's the company's job to sort of make that connection for folks. Yeah, very insightful. I think, one, it's like... Uh... So much fun use case gold for like, sounds like you certainly have a lot of experience on the kind of sales and marketing side of the world and how kind of communications and workflow happens. But I think for folks sort of building platforms out there to recognize that, that you may be part of a field of players in which you're playing a role, but the folks consuming that API may not totally grasp how to connect all those pieces. And uh, it's interesting to see this kind of and I kind of loosely throw the term API aggregator. I'm sure there's some better categorization now, but folks who sort of abstract those things away a little bit. But I also would say this is a cautionary tale for people who think, oh, we'll just connect up 20 different providers and define a workflow. And Gleb and company are, are growing, what was it, 360-something percent in the last year trying to solve this problem. It's harder than it looks. So I'm curious, like, you know, Okay. Kind of the the building the machine of all this consumption, like how do you deal with all the resiliency issues and things that go with it? 
Great question. I mean, at this point, we're at a scale where we're doing 12 billion API calls a day, something like 70 terabytes of data that we're syncing daily for folks and making available for our customers. I haven't checked that what number of like transactions per second we're at. But yeah, we, we basically forexed our bookings last year. At the same time, we grew usage by millions and millions of accounts, something like 40x. Uh, we had to scale and re-architect our platform. Jeez. A lot of different things to make sure that this super critical data just stayed up for customers as we grew, that like nothing caught on fire and fell over, or that the things that did catch on fire and fell over uh, were invisible to customers is maybe more accurate. But the core thing comes down to developer experience. So you could easily, I don't know, use Zapier. Zapier will connect you to multiple data stores, right? If this, then that exists. So why do you need UiPath? And the core reason is there's a lot of design thinking that goes into how do you conceptualize the schema? What makes something useful? And I, I do think just to tie back to like one of the core topics here, that developer experience is critically important, not just for a company like Nihilus, which obviously like developers are the ones who use our product. Developers are our customers. So there's a one-to-one mapping uh, for the most part between customer experience and developer experience for us. But I think overall, like the need for new software tools to be built, the constant trend in software for those barriers of entry, those doors of opportunity being easier to open, powered by the developments in the API space, the abstraction layer space, the digital economy, whatever you want to call it, it all sort of comes down to how easy can you make your product to understand? Right? How clear is the messaging? How clearly can you walk them through that possibility space of what they can do with the product? How easy is it to like actually build on from a product standpoint, right? Like how easy it is to get the API keys to create your first flow. Are you then also guiding them in non-product ways on that ease of build? You know, how-to guides, better documentation, the visual diagrams and the customer onboarding that you do from a human perspective. And then I guess like the fourth category there is also like how easy is it to actually test and go live and battle harden in production through the materials, the support that you give folks, whether that's you know sample data, logging, test accounts, or whether that's just literally having, uh, and this is, we sort of make it clear that across the board, every single team, whether it's sales, marketing, engineering, has a major role to play in DevEx, uh, whether it's the handholding you give new users as they ask questions, as they want to understand how other folks in their space have done something, as they want to just sort of figure out like, hey, how should I do this? Like your average engineer, Builds an off flow like once a year, maybe, if that, probably less. So there's nuance to it. This makes them, what am I trying to get at? Um, the better you enable someone to do something quickly, to decrease their time to market, to increase the opportunity they're chasing after, the easier and better you're making the ecosystem as a whole, which I think then leads to great products being created, which then leads to more competition and better products. It's like a very virtuous cycle that's going on. And I think part of that in the technology space is being driven by obviously APIs because they become components that help people reduce down complexity and move faster. But in general, developer experience, just because software is eating the world, cool, if software is eating the world, who's building that software? Okay, it's developers. So the easier you make it for developers to build software, the more powerful the tool set is, well, the faster software gets built, the better the software is that gets built, the more interoperable that becomes. And I think that's a very powerful feedback loop. I think the first one that really lands with me is you kind of opened up with saying, you know, making things understandable to kind of know what it is that you're going to do. And I think echoing that back to kind of a lot of the API builders that listen, you know, in our audience, 
you know, we talk about this notion of kind of universal language or like how you describe things in a way that's consistent in customer language. And I love that that's what you start with because that's what we keep hearing over and over and over is know how to explain the thing that you do above all other things, right? All the technical implementation stuff and a lot of the kind of, you know, how do you document it, make it all that is like sugar on top. But when it comes, I mean, you're certainly in the world of abstracting away lots of different providers' views. You mentioned earlier, like the email providers have five different ways of handling what they do. And I'm sure, you know, in all these other areas, it's the same. So how do you go about from kind of a design standpoint, thinking about how to describe kind of the meta model for these things? Uh, We have sort of some visual diagrams in our docs. But when it comes to like the sales motion, we have found that it's better not to bother really describing like the general uh, back like architecture potential of what you can do in general senses because people ultimately don't super care they're trying to solve their problem if that information helps them better understand how to solve that problem faster awesome but we haven't necessarily found that to be the case an example is so we have plenty of customers in the hr space everyone from lever and beamery to the ceridians of the world out there use us on the scheduling end, the parsing end. The use case from our side looks exactly like a CRM, right? It's folks that are getting in touch with each other. It, you're parsing data from resumes. You're, the API calls are exactly the same. If you call a ATS customer, a CRM, they get very upset. If you call an HCM customer, an ATS, they get very upset. People get very tied to their like very specific industry terms because they have meaning, like they're used for a reason. They give a level of nuance that is very important to that customer. And if you're able to use the right ones, you're able to convey the message like, hey, I care about what you're doing. I actually like really kind of give a shit about your thing. I think my thing can help you out. Uh, Here's why. And they're much more interested in listening to that. So on our end, because we have this generalized platform, this general tool set, very few of our new markets require edge work. It's more about platform stability. It's about how do you define and structure those schemas? How do you pick the right technologies around like the identity side of things? How do you make sure things are secure? But when it comes to exposing customers to what we do, you have to tie it into their needs. You have to really well understand why are you trying to do this? Like what is the business or product goal you are trying to achieve? Awesome. Now that we're bought in on that, we got it think you're the right tool or or we may not be the right tool or we think you can do it in this way to help you on this piece. I guess that makes sense that you're more in kind of that integration mapping and kind of workflow definition side of it as opposed to kind of full-on abstracting things, right? Yeah. I think we, it's the former CTO over at GitHub, Jason Warner, currently now at Redpoint. I think he once said that every piece of software needs the same three things. You all need identity, payments, and communication. Identity, we have the, like, the SSOs, the Octas, payments. We've obviously got Stripe, Block, call, a ton of crypto projects, right? A lot of very specific things. Communication, pretty fragmented in Greenfield right now. I believe that we have a very simple architecture, connect directly, get the data, parse the first party data, and also power engagement at the same time, the same technology, but there's an efficiency to it. But there's a messaging challenge. Regardless of how good your product market fit is, it comes down to how easily can you walk folks through why your product matters to them specifically, not just high level. It's important information. Here's how it's useful. So in payments, it's a straightforward, simplified use case. In identity, different use cases for sure, but core, simple problem to solve. 
because on the communication side, it becomes a lot more custom to use case because we have everything from dating sites uh, and matchmaking sites to IoT picture frames that show you like pictures of Christmas that you email grandma to like the world's largest cast the real markets. Like there's not one set of messaging that will work in terms of, oh, here's your ROI, plug this in, your email gets sent better, multiply that by $5 per user, you're making millions, right? It's a little bit more custom, but the value of the data that we're helping people put to use, I think is the highest, like it's the highest signal data out there. So you can have all the data you want, doesn't super matter if you can't use it. You can have the fanciest workflows that you want, doesn't super matter if you don't have good data going into it. We believe that starting with the contents of the message allows you to achieve both sides of the, of the equation better and better over time. So circling back a little bit on the kind of developer experience side, I think you touched on some of the high level things that you had also addressed in kind of a recent, I think it was Information Age article. Hmm. Again, kind of just scratching a level deeper on that. I mean, it sounds like in some ways the space you're in is about making that adoption easier. And there's certainly, I guess I'm trying to suss out like, how much of this are you trying to say to the APIs that you're helping connect folks with versus the things that you all are doing? Because I'd imagine in sales and marketing world, like if I don't have to engage developers, great. So like, I think on one hand, I'm a little confused on how Nihilus plays with developers, but on the other is like, how are you seeing this in the, the sort of API providers that you're working with? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's a very general theme regardless of company. So definitely on the Nihilus side, it's a core focus of our product strategy to make it as easy as possible for developers to use. I don't think that's particularly unique. Again, for us, our customers are developers. So every company wants their product to be easier for customers to use. But I believe that, and that's why I like the stripes of the world, right? The folks that you know as APIs, though they've gone on to develop other business lines and, and all that, they're very dialed in on the design side, the experience side, because they have to be. It's their core customer experience. And the same way that Zoom's really dialed in on how they want video users to experience their platform. The argument that I'll extend and make is that there's no trade-off or there's only minor trade-offs, I suppose. There's obviously costs associated with it to focusing on the DevX component. And the more you do, even if you're not a technology tool, the better it'll be in the long term because of these externalities, these realities of how software is being built by developers. And if you don't invest in that, you're only slowing yourself down. You're slowing your business down. You're getting to market slower. You're hurting the interoperability, how many people sign up for your marketplace, how many people use your product. You're hurting the career of your developers because now you're spending 30% of their time like chasing down dependencies or figuring out just like, how do I make these things work together? Has anyone in Stack Exchange in the past decade had this problem? Please, God, I hope so. Like, there are all these challenges that if you get rid of, suddenly your whole engineering team gets better. You develop core competencies a whole lot faster. You're able to distribute knowledge a whole lot faster. And at the end of the day, it's more opportunity for the market. Lower barriers of entry, better tools, more speed, more development overall. But I think I'm making the very the plea to self-serving interests by saying it'll also make your life better. It'll make your engineering team happier. It'll make your product better. It'll make everyone do their jobs more efficiently and happier. If you provide the developers with the right experience. And for us, again, because of the sales and marketing comment, we don't sell directly to sales and marketing teams. We sell to software companies. Or, or maybe a better way of saying it, we sell to companies who are building software. 
most of our customers, I'd say 60%, are software vendors themselves, B2B software tools, maybe B2C software tools. The remainder are those companies that have acknowledged that, okay, it's 2022. We need to have an engineering team, obviously. We have to have software to compete and keep up. And I think like, regardless of which bucket you're in as a company, whether you're a company that is a software product or a company that just uses software, understanding how it's built will only help you. Making it easier to be built will only help you. Making the tools better for your end customers is not a risk to your business. Yep. Well put. I guess in some mode of thinking, a lot of this kind of developer experience factors is, you know, it's a subset of marketing. So when you think about developers being your primary audience, it's like my experience has always been that if you just throw traditional marketing at this sort of thing, it doesn't work. (laughs) It has the opposite effect. So like, how do you kind of think about marketing to developers for this kind of functionality? Yeah, I I get asked that question all the time. The question of like, aren't developers kind of jerks? Aren't they really opinionated? Don't they hate marketing and salespeople? And it's like, well, no, not really. Not uh, So like developers for sure hate it when you waste their time. They hate it when you bullshit them. They hate it when you're inauthentic. But why is your sales and marketing doing any of those things, man? Like just be inauthentic. Don't waste your prospects time. And developers as an audience are actually super, super, not only loyal, but understanding, high engagement as long as you don't waste their time. like So for our go-to-market motion, it's all around, what are you trying to do? How can we help you do that? Uh, we've seen a couple dozen folks do something very, very similar, some in your space. Here's how they approach. We think something like that could work for you. What do you think? Uh, it becomes much more of a consultative sale. It becomes much more of a, how can you listen? And for us, it's like a lot of training for our sales team around, don't be scared of saying you don't know something. You're not expected to. You're expected to like listen, understand, and pull in the right resources as needed. But like, no developer is going to go, oh, you don't understand this like arcane webhook parsing question. You suck as a salesperson. I'm never buying from you. Just say, oh, I don't know the answer to that. I'll ask my sales engineer. I'll get back to you. But I'm pretty sure that uh, we do this for this customer and that customer. So I, I believe there's a solution. Folks will listen to you. And the power of the people building the software within corporations, within startups, within distributed projects is obviously a lot higher now than it was 10 years ago, than it was five years ago, controlling more budget, being more and more a part of that strategic discussion as to what are we building? How are we building it? What's the best way to solve our problem? I just think it's really important to talk to those audiences in a voice they understand, which thankfully just happens to be a voice that's respectful and contains a information and saves everyone's time. So that's a nice business relationship to have. Yeah, I'll, I'll quote one of my uh, frequent co-hosts and uh, longtime buddy, Adam Duvander here in a simple phrase that I think captures a lot of what you just said, which is teach, don't sell. I think it's the best advice I've ever heard is, you know, be informative, be educational. And I love your notion here is just don't waste developers time. It's precious. So I love yeah. that. Well, it also applies like for our own product side of things. I'm not saying we're there. Like we have plenty of places where we're noticing that regardless of use case, developers are building the exact same thing over and over again. Whenever we notice that, let's take that off their plate. We should be doing that as a platform so that they don't have to build a webhooks queuing system across every single one of our customers. Why? Yeah, for API builders listening, that's always a good rule of thumb. And one that I love too is if you can dry up client code, so if you can remove 
repetitive complexity from all your different clients. Think that every line that you remove, if you have 10,000 developers using your platform, you just save the world 10,000 lines of garbage code. So do the work, everything on the server you can uh, and make the world a tidier place on code. That's a great uh, way. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> all right, so we ended up covering a whole ridiculous range of topics and I appreciate all your openness on these things. And, uh, you know, I got to pop the question that we generally kind of throw, I guess, when we cover too many things is for someone listening, going, hey, I'm getting into consuming more APIs and this sort of thing, or maybe they're in a similar space building these sort of things or just engaging developers in general. You can't do all that at once. So if you had to, you know, go spin all this up again, where would you start? What would you say is kind of your advice on the most important thing to focus on first? The most important thing to focus on first, I would say, is getting to the MVP of your first sale. Not necessarily because you've been replicated across every other sale. Maybe you find out things later on sale 10 or 100 that change things where you find you tweak from there. But when I speak with folks who are thinking of starting their own initiatives, who want to get into entrepreneurship or whatever, they often get caught up on like perfect instead of good. They'll often be like, well, I'm not, it's not my life's mission to solve this problem. So is it really, all, everything I hear is that I have to solve a, a huge problem to get something done first. And it's like, maybe. I don't know any entrepreneur who like had that beautiful passion before they wrote their first line of code or before like the first sale was done. You learn a lot of things out, you tweak it, you get there. And then you refine the story uh, a little bit retroactively to make sure there's a clean narrative there to tell the rest of the world. But the biggest hurdle I see is folks just getting caught in analysis paralysis. So just get out there, try to build something. Think of a use case, just whatever use case, and go out and try to validate that with someone. Ask them if they'll pay money for you solving this problem. You don't even have to have the thing built. Do it manually, whatever. Like if it's only one customer, do it manually. You want to validate that people will buy from you specifically and that they will buy to solve this problem. Because either of those buckets can get in your way. They're complicated. You have to know how to speak to your audience. You have to have something useful. But like the more at-bats you have, the more iterations you get, the better, the more you'll learn. And all of engineering really is just like earnest failure until you get to success. You have to like fail as much as possible. Why isn't this working? Ah, God, please. And then you keep learning. You keep guessing at what might be broken, what's, not, what's working. And then you keep trying stuff and then it does work. And then you learn. And the same broad concept applies to starting, building something for the first time, to starting an API business, to just learning about APIs in general. Find some, some use case that interests you enough. Don't worry about it being your life's mission. It just interests you enough. And then go out and like fail as many times as possible, as quickly as possible, so that you learn. Or fail earnestly. Think about what went on and then like adjust uh, each cycle. Spoken like a true hypergrowth startup CEO. Excellent advice. I couldn't agree more. Well, that feels like a, a good stopping point here. I guess uh, any other any other kind of parting words or anything that you kind of wanted to highlight before we wrap up? Uh, I'm just excited to see the growth of the space. I think folks are starting to understand more and more what APIs are. Every time I Google how many developers are there, I think the Google word turned back something like 30 million, 40 million-ish. It always blows my mind because it's like, way more people than that know how to code. It's taught in colleges now. It's like, it is a prerequisite. And the same way that I think we had digital natives come up whenever that happened, I don't know, 20, 2005, uh, we're having these coding natives come up now that like intuitively understand 
based on like YouTube, based on TikTok, how an AI algorithm works, how it like crafts things based on inputs, based on interactions into specific outputs. Then totally understand because of, uh, you know, having to take classes on Zoom or using all the software tools, how integrations come together, like the overall shape of a if-then statement, even if they're you know, not coding themselves. I think that is a shift in mindset that is being underemphasized right now. Uh, people talk about, oh, low code, no code will be really big, uh, or maybe AI coding will be super big. OpenAI is doing with all the newest models. There's a lot of cool stuff happening. I think the big boom we're going to see five, 10 years out is around it being so much easier to build against specific use cases that the focus then becomes on execution, that it goes away from like, what is the specific language framework, et cetera, and goes much more towards what's the best way to achieve this result. And that's the interesting part of software, right? When we go from like machine code to compiled languages, to interpreted languages, to just that general trend of leverage getting higher, of complexity getting higher, but the wrapper, the interface for that complexity getting simpler, that's what leads to massive results in people's actual lives, not just you know within a code base. Speaking of the big boom, I've heard you're hiring. We are hiring, yes. So we are hiring on the engineering side, especially around AI and ML talent. We have offices in San Francisco, Denver, New York, Toronto, and London, and then also for enterprise sales talent. So if you are an enterprise seller with experience in the API space, with the ability to teach instead of tell, I really like that, that analogy, then we are uh, very interested in talking to you as we continue to 3X and 4X our bookings year over year. Fantastic. Again, thanks for being so open and kind of sharing a broad range of topics with us here, Gleb. And uh, I you know, wish you well and continued success. It's uh, really impressive what you guys have built so far. Absolutely, Jason. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. If you have a question you want to ask, look in the description of whichever platform you're viewing or listening on, and there should be a link there so you can go submit a question and we'll do our best to find out the right answer for you.